Welcome to another edition of the Rich Eisen Podcast presented by Papa John's. What a lineup we have in store today. The NFC West leading head coach of the Seattle Seahawks, Pete Carroll, will join us on the podcast. And uh, while we're talking about Los Angeles sports legends in terms of Pete Carroll, a Los Angeles legend is waiting in the wings on this podcast. None other than James Kahn, Santino Corleone himself, will join us to talk about his love of the game. Uh, He played in college, in Big Ten football, actually, for one year, a cup of coffee, before starting his legendary film career. Uh, He's also the man who immortalized Brian Piccolo uh, for a made-for-TV movie, by the way. It wasn't a a, uh, feature film. Brian's song was a made-for-TV movie back in the day, uh, and he did that the same year that he made The Godfather. Talk about a year in the life of James Caan and... I also want to pick his brains for whatever stories he can tell, arable stories about his days hanging out with some of the legends of football back in the 70s, as I know he did. That's still to come here on the Rich Eisen podcast as we are entering week number seven, the week uh, uh, as week number eight, actually. We're through with seven weeks, uh, week number seven, the week that I think uh, we can all say that the Dallas Cowboys 2010 season came to an unofficial close. Uh, Tony Romo out for the next six to eight weeks. The team is already one and five, oh, and two in division, oh, and uh uh, they, their one win was out of out of conference, so they still don't have a win in conference, and we're entering week number eight. Who would have thought that would be the case for the Dallas Cowboys, who can only hope that John Kitna can win more than he loses and only hope Romo is going to be on the short end, that six-week end of uh, of the stint that he's going to be spending in a sling trying to come back from a broken clavicle. The offensive line issues that the Cowboys have been facing all year long finally came home to roost with Michael Boley, the linebacker of the Giants, coming free and legally hitting Tony Romo, which brings me to another point. Last week, the whole hoopla was the helmet-to-helmet hit and the new teeth in the penalties for these flagrant hits by the National Football League in week number seven. In the week after all of this went down, it was a complete non-issue. Players didn't change their style of play other than perhaps to hit them, uh, hit their opponent more in the strike zone that the NFL emphasized this past week. It did not seem that physical play was thrown out. It did not seem as if hard hits didn't occur when they needed to in the NFL. Everything was done above board by the players. And also, we didn't see the referees overreacting either. It's unbelievable, but it seems to me as if the helmet-to-helmet issue was a lot to do about nothing now we'll see about uh, the rest of the NFL season but as far as week number seven I thought for sure we'd see more flags I thought for sure we may even see a player perhaps hold up didn't happen absolutely did not happen as uh, week seven came and went without incident so go figure that Um, lots to get to on the podcast so let's get to our first guest right now he is the head coach of the NFC West leading Seattle Seahawks at 4-2, and two, fresh off another big-time home win in front of the full-throated 12th man in Questfield. He is Pete Carroll joining me on the Rich Eisen podcast. Coach, thanks for the time. Appreciate it. Hey, what's up, Rich? Good to talk to you. Same here, same here. So 4-2 and two through seven weeks. Where, where do you think your team is right now and, uh, and how well-positioned it may be moving forward in the NFC, Pete? 
Well, we feel like we're we're just kind of starting, you know, Rich. It's it's been a while, and we're still not in the in the full you know full flight here. Um, we've been waiting for our offensive line to get together and get physically right, and then here we come back this last week, and Russell Kung, you know, sprains his, his other ankle here. So we're not we're we're not at full strength like we would like to be, and and we haven't worked together as a group offensively for uh, really any length of time. So we, we're, I think we're still uh, in a, in progress of putting this thing together. Marshawn has given us a big a big boost and, and uh, we've run the ball for over 100 yards the last couple of weeks and feel a little bit better about that and certainly but um, I st- think we're just kind of putting it together trying to grow as a team figure this thing out figure the division out and see if we can you know find some consistency that can give us a chance to keep on winning yeah I don't know if anybody could figure the division out I mean you know everybody thought this would be the 49ers year in many ways and now they're one and six heading over to the UK and you are on the top uh, uh, right now with with the uh, with a team that seems to be defensively uh, stout more than people would give you credit for, what what did you do, Pete, in the in the, your first few weeks or months to set things up to to get the results that you're getting right now defensively? Well, honestly, you know, forever when we've been coaching, you know, defense has been pretty good on our side, and so we figured that we could put together a pretty good group. But a couple things did come together that that I think. Uh, gave us a chance to move on. Gus Bradley, for one, is a guy that's got great background and stuff that, that I've done. You know, he worked with Monty Kiffin for years, and so we have a, a great relationship with, with our background and all of that. Uh, Dan Quinn, the defensive line coach, is a guy that worked at San Francisco for years uh, and really studied with Bill McPherson, a great coach there, that, that where I was as well uh, years back. And So we've combined the stuff that we did at San Francisco with what, what you know, we they have done here in the past and made us a system that was very much like we were when I was back with George Seifert. And uh, we were able to do that scheme schematically because we came up with a guy, Red Bryant, who had been kind of a journeyman guy here at tackle, and we moved him to defensive end. And I th- really think that Red made a big difference for us in his ability to play, you know, on the tight end side and be a factor in the running game. And our run stats kind of show that. And and uh, he's been a big fired up, you know, aspect of this defense. And put Lofa and, and Laura Malloy and some guys together. And we, we, uh, Chris Clemens has had a very good start to the season. And guys like that, it's it's kind of coming together. And offensively, let's get to Okun. You, you mentioned uh, about how he uh, has an ankle sprain now in the other ankle. He had the high ankle sprain that kept him out for the first three games of this season. What can you tell us about his ankle as you get ready for the Raiders this weekend? Well, we haven't seen him on the field yet, but uh, you know, just w- with Russell yesterday morning, um, it's not nearly as bad as the other one was, and, and they're considering a first-degree type of sprain. So we're going to go day-to-day with him and see how, how he responds. You know, Maybe he can pull a Brett Favre here or something and come back and play this week. <laughs> yes. you know, we'll see. But um, we're going to, you know, we're going to have to watch it closely. Uh, fortunately, Tyler Columbus had, had played for for us uh, in replace of, of of Russell when he was hurt earlier, so uh, he jumps back in the lineup and finished the game for us and did an okay job there. But we're still working real hard. Uh, you, you need continuity, you need time logged together, and for communications and, and feel for one another and the trust that it takes to play great line play and we're just just getting started you know we're still uh, we're still away from getting to our top game I think this and, during the season and I'm sure if if you know obviously your team you've got some guys uh, who have been through the wars before starting with your quarterback but if you need anybody to make sure you don't overlook an opponent just putting on the game film of what the Raiders just did to the Broncos I imagine takes care of that for you right Pete 
Uh, that was an amazing game for them, and they just looked so good. They did everything across the board, you know, in their special teams, defense, offense. Everybody was functioning, and, and uh, so there's no, we don't have any issues about that. We're going to be all tuned into what they can do, and they ran it for over 300 yards, which is crazy and something we take great pride in. So it's going to be a great, uh, a great matchup for us. We, we need to go back on the road. We need, we need these tough, you know, matchups to get us strong and to get us right. So um, we're going to get nothing short of that from from the Raiders. I'm, I'm sure. sure. I'm sure of that. So now your second go around here, or the third, I guess, uh, in the National Football League. But your your, your first go around after you uh, you spent uh, time at the college game at, at at the top of your profession there. Different. What 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 have you changed about yourself, Pete, as opposed to the last time? What did you learn from your previous stints in the NFL that you have already put into action here with the Seahawks? Well, I haven't changed much of anything from from the, you know how we finished up at. In Southern California, you know, and, and the style, the philosophy, the approach, that 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 came together, you know, years ago there, and so we just I've just transferred what we were doing, but from the last time I coached in the league back to you know, New England days, mm-hmm. uh, a lot has happened and a lot has changed, and and uh, I had an enormous year off between New England and, and SC that gave me a chance to kind of restructure everything and get everything in order, and then I got a chance to put it into practice at SC, and really it was about philosophy, it was about approach, and and really nailing things down. Uh, very, very specifically, so that I could present, you know, what we're all about and, and create a culture about a football team that, that everybody knew where we were coming from. And so, uh, you know, it, it kind of feels like Rich, when we, you know, if, that saying that you know, I wish I would have known then what I know now. Right. I, you know, I, I feel so much more together than in, in approaching this thing, and I feel like like I have been here before, and now here's a second, kind of a second life at it, and and uh, it's it's made it more fun, it's made it more pointed, and and uh, it's it's really to me it's fascinating just to kind of watch. You yeah. Know? Well, and see what's going on. Well, when you say the approach and the philosophy, you know, you, you know, you always talk about competing, and that was in your book that's that's still on on, on bookshelves right now uh, about making sure that competition is all set up. But so you're saying, in in terms of uh, your time in New England and your time now, were you saying in New England that uh, that you you didn't have as focused an, an approach in terms of communication between you and your well, players? Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Well, I, no, I think it's more like this. That, that that you know, I thought I had my act together, but but looking back now and you know where I am now and how um, really how pointed we are in everything that we do, it, I just have have a much clearer sense of it. And really, it's just clearly not knowing you know how to communicate with the players. It's just knowing what is important to me. And you know, interestingly, you mentioned the book, but that's really what I tried to convey in that is how important it is to know what your philosophy is and to really nail it so that you can best represent you know who you are and what you're all about you know there's a lot of times we operate and we're not quite sure you know we don't ask ourselves all the questions and what's important and what do we think about this and that and you just kind of wing it and as you're going through stuff and do the best you can but there really is a lot to be said for you know hammering out what you think about all of the things that you have to deal with in your work and uh, that's that's really what this feels like and so now it's a matter of teaching and, and you know conveying the you know the principles and the approach to our coaches and then to the players so everybody can be on the same page so that we have a chance to, to function more completely and fully, and in, in, in essence, compete more, you know, totally together. And so it's uh, it's been really cool to see it and, and watch it happen, and uh, I'm enjoying it. And and uh, how close did you ever come, other than the Seattle job, obviously that you took while you were at USC to to getting back in the NFL? Did you come awfully you mean close? Just, you mean just between you and me? 
<laughs> and the rest of my no, podcast there, listeners. There, there, yeah, listeners. there was um, honestly there was a, a few times. There's just a hand, small handful of times mm-hmm. when I actually talked to anybody about the potential of a, of you know a job. Uh, that was you, know, you would have thought I was talking to every team in the league every year, and that's the way it was reported. I was a, you know kind of a likely guy to, to throw into the mess, mm-hmm. uh, but that that's not the case at all. There was just a few times over the years that that somebody came and made a phone call and said, "Hey, what do you think about this or that?" And and I talked to uh, in person. I talked to one guy, uh, you know, and, and th- so that's all really that was happening after all of those, the rumors and all. But nothing ever even came close. I had given up the thought that, that the NFL was ever going to be an option because I just ha- I was very determined to only do it one way. And, and, and if I was going to get a chance, knowing and respecting, you know, this level of, of, of football, I, I didn't want to go into this thing just because you, you feel happy to be here and lucky to be a part of it. I wanted to have the opportunity to do it the way I thought it was needed to be done. And when when they gave me a chance to, you know, to work out, the, you know, getting John Snyder to come here and all of the st- things that we've done since then, it's given us a, a, our best chance to be really good. And I'm, and I'm hoping that we'll be able to show that in time. Do you have any regrets about the, the way uh, things went with you and USC at the end of your stay? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I totally regret the fact that, that the NCAA came down like they did. I totally re- regret that we weren't able to to see that coming and we couldn't and could head it off you know in, in proper timing and all that it hit like a ton of bricks and I never thought it was ever going to happen like that and so the the you know the aftermath of it I'm, I'll never I'll never get over that do you and, think and, uh, do you think Reggie did the right thing about giving back the Heisman I don't know about that. I don't know if that was right or not. I don't know what Reg was thinking about that, or you know what his advisors are telling him. I don't. I don't really have an opinion on that. You know, it just it's unfortunate that it's been so uncomfortable for so many people and all that. So, um, and for himself as well. You know, and, and we wish we would have known to to make sense of it so this never would have come about like this and we could have done the right things early on but we just didn't get the opportunity didn't present itself to us like people might have might think and so it's it's unfortunate uh, for everyone involved and so that's it's too bad you know, that was yeah, I was there you know Rich, I was there doing it and, and it was my responsibility to know I just didn't know and it was unfortunate I can see and I think most people can see as you look around the country now you see how so many programs have issues of the same nature where where agents are getting involved with, with kids when, way before they're supposed to, and they're affecting the you know outcomes of families and, and careers and, and universities, and it's just totally wrong. And I'm hoping, I understand there's some talk being done uh, coming up. I did talk to uh, the commissioner today about there's some meetings coming up to try and bring college football and in, in, in the NFL together to to see what they can do about this issue, and hopefully something really good will come out of that. Yeah, that uh, that uh, that sanctions could somehow follow anybody, an amateur athlete who takes money uh, illegally uh, into the league. And you're talking to the commissioner about about perhaps uh, the parameters of what the league might be setting up moving forward with the NCAA? Yeah, I just offered, you know, I offered my help. I know that they're having some meetings with some with some people on both sides. You see, the, the point that I'm, I'm just, it takes me back, is the focus is going to the athletes again when the, when really the focus should go on the adults that are causing the problems to me. And, and let's keep those guys from, from approaching young kids when, and families when they don't know any better and they're vulnerable and, and they're, they're un, uninformed and all of that. Um, it's unfortunate, but that's, you know, but it, it needs to go in all directions to not let this happen. So I'm, I'll support them any way that I can. Do you think that if the league made it um, made it uh, for a rookie scale sort of the way the NBA has in the fact that agents just would know that the the pot of gold would be the second contract not the first one as it currently is do you think that that might help clean things up on the collegiate level if the NFL just uh, basically said you, you you need to work agents on the second contract not the first 
Do you think that would help? No, I don't know that. I don't know that. I don't. I don't think so. I think you know the the agents are trying to get locked into kids uh, early on so that they have them, you know, under their you know, their guidance. And uh, I think they would still be very much the same. I don't think that'll have an effect. Okay, Mike Williams, what made you think you could you could you could reach down inside this this young man and turn turn things around or give him an opportunity? that he would respect because uh, and, and the only reason why I use those terms coach is because I work with Steve Mariucci and he would tell me stories about when Mike Williams was drafted by the Lions and the opportunities he was trying to make available to him it would make your hair turn white and so yeah. I, what he's doing right now is beyond remarkable and I'd love to get your thoughts and, and maybe let the listeners in on the conversations you had with Mike to give him the second opportunity, or the fourth, actually, technically, that he seems to be taking advantage of right now. Well, first off, I, from just being brought up by my dad, you know, by giving people a second shot, something I've always been, you know, tuned into, and and uh, and I like to see the guy, you know, the comeback stories and all that. So I, I had no problem with the thought of giving Mike a chance. But uh, honestly, Mike came to me in about November of last last year. Uh, just before meetings one one day you know at at Heritage Hall and he said yeah, you know, I ran into him and said he's going to get in shape and get going and I said oh that's great Mike you know let's try to support him and all that and I just I knew he wasn't in shape at the time and I thought well boy that's you know that sounds kind of like idle you know and idle wishes and dreams and all that mm-hmm. uh, and not until um, not until the heard got wind that he was working out a bunch and he was getting in great shape heard guys had played basketball with him in the LA area and stuff like that and he was looking good uh, when we got here um, you know we brought the name up and kicked it around and we said what the heck we got nothing to lose. I mean, the, if anything, I had only great, uh, you know, thoughts about what Mike's Mike's you know, role could be on an NFL team because of what he had done in college. We saw him as a great, great player, and so we gave him a chance. And he showed up, and he was in fantastic shape, and his mind was clear about what he wanted to do. He was very determined. His family life had been uh, squared away, and young, young, young one on the way, and all that kind of stuff. Very determined to prove it, and then, so we just gave him an opportunity, and then just watched him and coached him and, and saw him you know stick to his guns and and make sure that he was uh, regular about everything he did he's disciplined about his workouts about his meetings he, he has been a, a really just a, a model player in the program and and he's been highly productive as well on our practice field so when the games came around and we we started going you know we were just waiting to see what happens and see how he could hold it together now mike's going to get tested again as as now he you know he's becoming more obviously a, a factor on our team and and the guys are going to know about him around the league he's going to have to deal with that which he I think he's well prepared to do that. He just feels like he grew up, and uh, he, he didn't give the opportunity to the university setting to, to help him grow up. Remember, he left after his sophomore year, right. so he really was still just a young kid coming out, and he didn't have, you know, his head on right, and, and he didn't he, he misused the opportunity somewhat. And so, but fortunately, he's got a chance to come back around, and he's 21 balls in the last two weeks. That's pretty good, you it's know. Unbelievable. And, uh, yeah, he's been a big factor for us. And he's making the plays that we've seen him make before, but he's in great shape. And that's, uh, you know, at 6'5", and he's right around 230, uh, he just looks tremendous. And so hopefully we can keep this going. Now, I know it's obviously too early to talk about this sort of stuff, but he could be a comeback player of the year candidate if he continues up what he's doing right now. It truly is an unbelievable story uh, about what Mike Williams is doing right now. And and how much, as you were putting your team together, did you have to resist that old Lang Syne that uh, – that uh, the the tug of the USC Trojans with uh, all of the young kids that uh, that are looking for work or young kids that you could draft from your old program at USC. How much did you have to resist that when you knew you had to put together the best team possible, regardless of where these kids played or, or the personal feelings you may have for them uh, uh, from the past? 
Well, I don't think it's as difficult as you might think. One, you know, I have great love for the kids that we that we that played for us, and we gave a bunch of guys chances, and we'll continue to do that. You know, I do have a little spot in my heart for these guys, and I'd love for them to get the opportunity. If they can't get one somewhere else, you know, I'm looking to give them an opportunity to show what they can do. So I already had that mindset coming in. You know, matter of fact, I told the the guys when I left SC, you know, that you know, you, you know, I, I recruited you guys and, and brought you part of the program. I ain't done with you yet, you know. So <laughs> when your time comes, if you don't go somewhere else, we're gonna you know give you a look and give you a shot. To, to, to come out for us, um, but also there's a lot of great football players and there's a lot of great kids in, that came through the program. So I think it's been having that information and knowledge about guys has been an asset that will go away in a couple of years here. Um, you know when we don't have the familiarity and, and John and I, you know, both tried to you know use that to, to help us and I, hopefully it has and we'll continue in the next year's draft and the next couple of years of these kids coming out. We'll have good insights and and uh, you know the, and, and believe in their opportunities to help us. So. Um, you know, it's just been just using your information and really just a competitive advantage for for a small time here, and hopefully we can utilize it. And and you've had over a hundred roster moves, correct, since you started, Pete? Yeah, I think it's been like twice that many. <laughs> Is it, like, it, it, it's yeah, it's in the three yeah. figures. I know that, and yeah, I know again you yeah. keep talking about team chemistry. I mean, how how are you as a head coach and a, a, the grocery shopper along with John? making sure that the chemistry stays put with with guys who who need to arrive with name tags every week it seems well it, it it's been it's been a, a challenge there's no question but uh but everybody knows that the central team in the program is competition and that means that we're competing to get the best club we can and the best roster we can put together and so there has been some some difficult times with that but um as long as we keep doing the thing that that we can you know hopefully it turns out to be the right thing to do and then we're we're not we haven't made all you know great decisions but we've we've competed with the right mentality that these guys have appreciated it you know even at a time when Marshawn came in here you know which is it's he's such a, a big character in, in the program that you know that could disrupt your team as well but shoot that turned out just it was a fantastic boost to our team you know and, and uh, we were working on doing that for months and months to get him here and so um, you know they haven't all been exactly right but the players and the guys at the core of this football team has accepted our our mentality and in, 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 in our attempt to try to make this as a competitive team as possible for right now I mean we we never Never have looked to the future in this thought. We want to try to make the best team for this season, and that's what we're trying to do. Yeah, Marshawn said he hated your guts back in yeah, the Cowboys. He, 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 he might. Yeah, I know. He, he might still. <laughs> he might he's still. Not right. But, but he's playing his butt off. No, no. As a matter of fact, we're having a ball. He is a great kid with a great spirit. Um, he's he's so happy to be appreciated and all. He's got his best friend in the world here, in Justin Forsett, and uh, he, he's lit this place up and with with his really his smile and his and his attitude and approach. And he's tough as nails. And so that's really been a great addition to the team. And hopefully we'll just keep growing together. Yeah, talk about strange bedfellows. You got a cow backfield. Yeah. You got uh, a Notre Dame guy that you drafted yeah. out there on uh, Golden Tate. Yeah. I mean. I guess you got to do what you got to do, Coach. You know what I mean? That's right. That's right. We even have a couple of Bruins around us, you know, with Kenny Norton yes. in the house and all that. So. Now, you know what? I remember, I remember after you whipped on my Michigan Wolverines in the Rose Bowl, uh, you called up and you said you wanted to come in, and you came into NFL Total Access. You had an interview with us, and you told Ken Norton, who was one of our analysts at the time, walk me out, walk me to my car. Yeah. And then a week later, he was on your staff. Just Pretty competing, man. <laughs> you're competing or not. You know? It's exactly, it's exactly how that happened. And he's still, he's had, still the had same. Had on him. You thought I came in to do the interview because I wanted to be on TV. I was coming uh, no, to get Kenny. I thought you wanted to hang with me, Pete. I thought you <laughs> Sorry, wanted to I was hang coming with to get me Kenny. and console me because you whipped up on my Michigan Wolverines. And as a matter of fact, I remember when I called you to, to try and secure that interview, you were on the road in the state of Michigan 
trying to get some people from the state of Michigan to come to California, and you rubbed that in my face as well. I remember that part of the conversation. Well, sorry to take Kenny, but he's had he's had a, he's, he's off fine. to a great career in coaching. So well, we knew no. we knew too when he was here as an analyst, and he would spend time as on the high school level coaching. We knew that's really what lit his fire was being yeah. around the game and teaching and making people better. Truly was. I'm not just saying that because that really oh, – He's amazing, Rich. I mean, with the, with the players here and his attitude and personality. You know, I asked him, I said, oh, just do what you've always done, you know, and, and don't change the way you approach the, the game. Bring the same personality and the same juice. And, boy, he has been just just a house of fire on, on, on our t- team at SC and again here too. And the guys really love playing for him, and he's, he's a great asset. Well, Coach, we, listen, appreciate the time. Uh, I, I – I, um, I uh, follow you on Twitter, and we, we both do the same, which I appreciate, at Pete Carroll. How, and how much time do you really find to do that, Coach? Um, it's really, I fly by. You know, Ben, ben Malcolmson helps me, and mm-hmm. it's just a fly-by thing. You know, hey, Ben, let's do this, let's do that. And, and uh, he has suggestions at times, so we're, we're, we work right. together on that. Hey, how are your numbers doing, Rich? Well, they're not nearly as good as you, Pete. You know, I'm not, I'm not a national <laughs> champion head way. coach. I'm not a head coach. I'm not, uh, you know, uh, yeah, any, anything you can do to help get my numbers up. I'm, I'm always You are that. the network, though, Rich. You are the network. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll take that. I'll take that to the uh-huh. bank. Win forever. Live, work, and play like a champion. Also on bookshelves now. Nice stocking stuffer for, for all the views out there beginning to think about stuff like that. Pete, good luck uh, in the black hole on Halloween, by the way. That's not a tough awesome, assignment man. at all. I, I wonder if they're going to dress up. Well, if they, well, they dress up all the time. So I think what they should do is they should dress in like formal wear or business suits because that's really the costume for them. Don't that you think? ain't happening, Rich. That ain't happening. It's a Coliseum. That's not happening. All right, Pete, thanks for the time. Okay. We appreciate it. That right, is, see you bet. That's Pete Take Carroll, care. the head coach of the current NFC West leading uh, Seattle Seahawks on the Rich Eisen podcast presented by Papa John's that rolls on next with the worm and Kara Henderson will join the worm. She's fresh back from the uh, funeral, if you will, that went down on Monday Night Football in the Jones Mahal in Dallas, or just outside of Dallas. We'll ask her about that, and the worm is no doubt glowing about his 5-2 and two New York Giants. And then after that, Santino Corleone. James Cott on the Rich Eisen Podcast, presented by Papa John's. change the game. One new channel will change Sunday afternoons forever. This season, watch the best plays as they happen live in HD. NFL Network Red Zone. Every touchdown, every game. Welcome back to the Rich Eisen Podcast, presented by Papa John. Pizza! That's the worm. Pizza! By the way, you are growing in popularity. Do you see the, the tweets on Twitter? People are sending out, like, respect to you for the way you approach the game as a fan, congratulating you on the Giants when the Giants almost blew the Monday night game. They were consoling you. You're becoming at worm underscore 66, worm. You're becoming quite the Twitter celebrity. They... I appreciate it. It's very nice. Well, the Twitter, and I, and I the sure Twitter I, liberty. And I and I make sure I write back. I always write back. Do you really? Yes, I do. There were, there were some tweets that came out. Man, of the people too worm. Gotta be. I mean, it's all coming respond, out. It's man. coming out but of your pores now. Don't retweet. I, don't, I did retweet one thing. It was a uh, Jason. Um, who am I thinking of? Um, used to be at, used to be at the Kansas City Star. 
I don't know, Jason Cole or somebody? No, no, he's at Fox Sports now. I don't know, man. I bet if you hit him harder, he might remember. Don't hit me. I don't know what you're talking about. Believe me, I don't want to be in your head. No, no. By the way, that's the dulcet tones of Kara Henderson joining the worm on the Hot Topic segment. Kara, fresh back from that Monday night game. And you know, I met Papa John last night. You met Papa John himself? I did. Did you scream pizza? I did. You know what? I just said I could really use a pizza right now, and he handed me a $20 gift card. He had just had them. He has them in his pocket. So sort of like ever... Willy Wonka had the, the golden tickets or something he, like and that? He, or... And he apparently is turning 50 soon. You wouldn't know it. He's he's in good shape. Well, Papa's he's in like the Ed Hockley. Like, he's like that. <laughs> he's the Ed Hockley of pizza makers. Well, on the commercial. I like you it. You see, at the end of the commercial, there's the one that he throws up. He throws that football at like 40 yards yeah. on a line. That's not some, hey, huh, you know, I mean, that is a gun. Well, maybe he can play quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys maybe. now. Maybe. It, it, seems, it seems that they have... They have he's turning 50, so it might be a good time. Might be. Well, how quiet was that building when, when Roma went down, Kara? The, the weird thing about it, and I'm sure you could tell on TV as well, it took a while for people to realize that he's just laying there, and he was kind of over there kind of yelling, like, guys, like, mm-hmm. somebody, come here. But it did, because the, the energy had built from the very beginning of the game. I mean, they were doing all the things that they had not done the whole season. Mm-hmm. And then in one fail swoop, there it went. And then, you know, you'd like to sit here and say that it went right downhill as soon as he, as soon as Roma went out, because the coach did say afterwards that there was a letdown, but Des Bryant returned a punt for a touchdown. And that building yeah, loves him. Right, and then they got a field goal. Yeah. They, they love them some, they love them them some, Des, some Bryant. Des Bryant. Big time, and he plays to the crowd, even towards the end of the game after the rest of the team was over there kind of, you know, trying to collect themselves. He was into it. He, like, loves the crowd. They love him. We've got the next... We've got the next, next receiver next star. Irvin, the next guy? Yeah. And he wears 88 for a reason. And Irvin doesn't mind it either. Michael actually appreciates that. How how much were you flipping out during this uh, game? Where, was, take me take me through the vicissitudes of the worm <laughs> watching the Monday night game was, as a Giant it, fan that we know was, you are. It uh, was very calming for mm-hmm. most most of the way. Once right. they got control of the game, it was 38-20. But I always say that... And, and, Every then they week, started throwing every the ball. Every week, where, every week. Every time, by the way, they were this? throwing the ball. If you when, heard him in Arlington, Cara, but <laughs> when it was 38 to 20 and they're starting throwing, and Gilbride's calling for passes, well, you, you had to be flipping The third out. and five, when the Cowboys are using two of their timeouts, right. Right? it's 335 to go. You just run the football, let them use their timeout, mm-hmm. just get rid of it. Right. Punt the ball, get by, all right, let them go 90 yards. Great, fine. You know, mm-hmm. Dodge did a pretty good job after the 93-yarder right. return, kick it out of bounds. Just, just, just make it simple. On the fourth and one, you, you run for you have 500 yards of offense, two minutes to go. Run the if ball. If you don't what get do you it, what they have to go the 90 field goal? yards. I know. Why are you kicking a field goal? Because Des Bryant could get the ball and go. He almost broke it. He almost broke that. Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, I, I thought Wade should have gone for the field goal instead the, of going for the touchdown on fourth down inside the 10-yard line. They could have used that three points. Mike Trico was on the plane next to me today and was giving me like all the mathematics of all the situations. He was flipping out flipping when that happened during the yeah. game. And he was. He said he took Wade to task at the end of the game for that very reason. He's right. like, you know, do the math. Like, do the math. Tariq's the best, sense. isn't he? Oh, he's awesome. Okay, basically, he's I, I, yelled, the, oh, I yelled. I yelled. Here's what I yelled. I even went to Twitter and tweeted this thing out. When Jaws comes back at the end of uh, at the end of halftime, mm-hmm. you know, after Berman did his fastest three minutes, we'll be back. How long was it? How it was was actually three minutes. The, the, it's the, the two-minute drill, the Chris Berman two-minute drill. Oh, that is the never one that actually nine minutes. That's the Chris Berman seven-minute and 21-second drill. I used to edit that. Did you really? Yes. Yeah, so used to edit how, so how, what was the uh, what was the average back then, time of total running time seven and a half. of the Chris Berman two-minute drill? Yeah, seven right. minutes. We'll be back.
But at any rate, yes. so uh, Jaws comes out to start the, the second half, and he goes, you know what? I'm excited for John Kitna. <laughs> and so I, I then went to Twitter. Wee. I went to Twitter and said, I'm sure Cowboys fans are all excited that Jaws is excited for John Kitna. And then after Kitna went the first three and out, and the ESPN cameras zoomed in on Jerry Jones, basically swallowing his own you-know-what, uh, I went, well, Jerry Jones looks like he's as excited as Jaws. <laughs> For John Kitna, because at this point in time, it looks like, I mean, we're hearing six to eight weeks, and um, they're one in five. Do you, th- it's, so it's interesting. Worm and I were talking about this a little bit before we, we came on here. I mean, their schedule over the next month, they have five games in the next month. They have mm-hmm. a short week. They have Jacksonville, Green Bay, at Green Bay, back to play at the Giants, and then they have the Lions, and then the Saints come in there on Thanksgiving. So by, the way, by the way, the the, the Lions. I, I know you you, you how you, your voice just went down when you and then they have the Lions. But I think that they're they're. You know, and I'm not saying I'm not saying you're not saying they're legitimate. But no, they're, but they're, they're 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 a team to be reckoned with. They I are think, no joke on offense. Over, right? No joke. No joke at all. Although there is the Kitna revenge factor. Oh God. That you were forgetting about with the, the Lions. Quarterback that's scored. <laughs> the quarterback scored. But that's, that's an awful schedule. That is a really brutal schedule. And, you know, talking to – so Jerry was in the locker room, just to paint the picture a little bit, at the locker room after after the game. And actually, I I think they had gotten most of it out by the time we got in there. But then Jerry always comes into the locker room. Only owner in the league that I know does this. Walks in the locker room. Everybody scrambles over because you know he's going to talk. So you think he's going to talk for a couple minutes. I mean, he talked for – Half hour. At least. And then done talking. I'm like, Jerry, do you mind a couple more questions? No. But his jaw was clenched. I mean, you had to know that for a guy that said last week, this team will go as far as Tony Romo takes us. Well, what do they do now? He's taken him as far as I think he's going to take him this year. And picture this, too. Driving in there, you've got the two parks right across the street from each other. So you have the Rangers going to the World Series. You know the football season is ending in this other stadium Mm -hmm. right across the way Mm -hmm. that Jerry built. And he's got to drive in there and think, the Rangers are the talk of the town because that's what's going on in Dallas now. They have made the Cowboys irrelevant. I have a buddy of mine uh, who's as big a Giant fan as you mm-hmm. at, to the point where <clears throat> his second son was born and he texted me a photograph of the son from the operating room uh, holding his son and he had a sign that he put next to his son that he'd already ready made saying, I hate the Eagles. <laughs> That is okay. good parenting. You've got a pre- good is, quality parenting. quality parenting. I know you would appreciate yes. that. He's also, we also share the love of the Yankees, and he emailed me last night saying this was revenge for the Rangers knocking the Yankees out because the folks down there care about the Cowboys season way more than Rangers baseball. So he's, he's soaking, soaking that bile in as, uh, as comfort. That's, that's, it's that's, sort that's of, a reach. That's isn't that, but I love the twisted fan mentality yeah, that that's out twisted, there. I thought yes. you'd, I thought you'd appreciate I, that oh, as well. Oh, I do well. appreciate it. As for the Giants, though, let's yes. talk about this. A lot of people are now crowning them as the leader in the NFC clubhouse through seven weeks. And Marshall Falk even said this on on NFL Game Day Morning, which I don't know if you heard this, Kara, because you were you were in Chicago. I was at the Interceptionville. Yes. Where, by the way, I think uh, the, the, everyone's talking about how there have been 377 turnovers committed. I think I saw 360 in the last two days. (laughs) They all went down. The last two days, exactly. It's you. Maybe it's you. You were there there when when D'Angelo Hall picked off four passes, right? Right. And Cutler fumbled once. 
And then the Eagles, how, how many, how many, I mean, I, the, the I Redskins saw, have. I, the Redskins had like three turnovers that game. There was nine turnovers in that game. Nine turnovers nine in that turnovers. game. And, and then, then, then I saw Eli throw, you know, his at the beginning. I'm like, what in the wide world of sports it's is you. going on here? It's Kara Henderson. We My son was at his it. first game, uh, the Chicago Bears game. He went and he's six. And he, my, my husband texted me in the middle of the game. He's like, he likes all the booing and foot stomping. <laughs> <laughs> you get plenty of that there. And a new soldier field. that galore on so, Sunday. So what about the Giants? Because, Mar- again, Marshall said it on NFL Game Day morning. This is the same team that, that couldn't even compete and, with Indianapolis. Negatory. Negatory. They got blown out hold on. in Indianapolis hold on. Hold on. week two. The Manning Bowl was hold a on. washout hold worm. On. It's everything is like 2007. Mm-hmm. New new defensive coordinator 2007 Spags comes in. First three three or four games blown out. Everyone wants his head. We all want his head, right? They kind of get it together. They get healthy. Mm-hmm. They they get better. Mm-hmm. Not perfect. Mm-hmm. They get better. They get better. They get better. And then we see what happens in the playoffs. This year very similar. Perifuel comes in. New scheme. New people. Two new safeties. You have a, you have. Three new safeties, basically. So you're okay? saying the team currently now that we're seeing, this is the team that we're that this is the team that that's moving forward. This is the giant team that you are. That that other giant team is not the giant team. What about the giant not team? Not true. What about the giant not team that true. let the Lions back in no, that's what two I mean. weeks that's ago? That's what I mean. That you, nearly made have, your head pop you off not, your neck. You were not as good as you think you are. <laughs> right. By doing what they have done, not only in the Lion game, right. they did it in the Panther game, and they did it last night. Mm. When you were up in the fourth quarter. There are there is one enemy. They did the, Texans, the clock the is Texans the enemy. Too. Houston, they did that. The same thing. They started coming yeah, back and they played yeah, well, and then no, they started coming really. back on them a little really. bit. No, they really, they can't handle the clock. They, they can't handle. No, the clock. They can't handle the clock. They can't handle the clock. They can't ha- handle prosperity. They they are not focused mm. for sixty. It's a sixty minute game. What about uh, so the basically the, the Giants and the Falcons at five wins right yep. now. And then the NFC North is a complete toss-up yep. as the Packers put two more players on injured reserve this week, right? Yep. Favre, his his streak is I, – I would be stunned if it doesn't end this weekend, right? Would you I be almost stunned? Thought, I almost thought he was going to just retire in Lambeau Field at the podium there at the end of that game. Just quit. Just tap out. Just no. I mean, watching well, him walk, was that I, not the most painful thing you've ever my seen? Wife, my wife, even despite all that she's seen on the Internet, she has – she, she went is, and looked. She can't. She, she can't, went and looked. Of course she did. She can't. She can't get enough. Brett Favre. She turns to me. I feel sorry for Brett. First name. First name. She feels sorry for him. Someone said to me, "It's like a passion play, isn't it?" And it is. It's. it's she feels sorry for Brett. And Brett, you know, I mean, it, 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 it's unbelievable. I just think finally, finally, the injury bug is going to bite him. I mean, he's got no two doubt. fractures in his his ankle. He's. He, the problem is, he's forty one. He was hurt last year. Right. Okay. He had the ankle issue in, at, at the end of the New Orleans game. He had the you know, his purple le- ankle, purple leg. He's 41. He can't, when they're 36, mm. 34, that one extra step to avoid that tackle. Right. To avoid that sack, to avoid that hit. Mm. He can't do that anymore. It's, it's, I think he's definitely going to sit this week. I, I, I would be stunned. I'd be stunned. And as somebody who's seen it all with Brett Favre, literally, okay, right? So uh, at this point in we time. We don't know for sure. About that, I don't think it is. I'm going to go on the record and say I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But we're going to apparently find out by the end of the week when the NFL is going to be done with, his, uh, with their investigation. But I think he's definitely going to sit. You have no idea what's going on in the South. None. I mean, the Falcons look good, and then you have no uh, Maybe the Giants are the current team. Uh, Pete Carroll's 4-2 Seattle Seahawks. They're playing hard. They're they playing are. hard for him. Real hard They're for him. They're playing hard for him. And eight's healthy. 
Eight healthy. Hasselbeck. So important. He looks so much better, too, when you and see him in person than he did last year. Mm -hmm. I think a little bit and of competition got him in fantastic shape. And Lynch, yeah. and Lynch was a nice pickup for them. Really, yeah, well, Pete really Carroll good. said earlier on the podcast how much he loves him and yeah. how much of a, of a spark yeah. is really added to the, to the locker room. Over in the AFC, um, I, I, you know, you got the Steelers, you got the, the, the Jets, and you've got the, the Patriots at 5-1. and one. Yep. That's good. The Titans stuff. are Ravens at five and two. How about the Titans at the, the the Chargers? Are you concerned about the Chargers, Kara Henderson? I was concerned about the Chargers from the first game, Monday Night Football game, Kansas mm -hmm. City, and having just moved to California, knowing how infrequently it rains. The second it started raining, mm. the wheels came off. And when you're out here, you, you you get so not used to having it rain. I think they should pipe rain into practice. You think they, so? Well, actually, the last it. two weeks have taken care of that, although. Yeah. But no, I think, how can you not be concerned? But you have the same kind of feeling about the Chargers that you do about the Cowboys. Because, yeah, you look statistics and, gosh, they're tops in this and they're tops in that. And yeah. Too many mistakes. Just, coaching. It's a coaching mentality. Something within. It's not that they're not trying hard. It's not that, the, that Wade and Norv are not doing everything in their power to coach the team up, right. but there's something within their chemistry that it doesn't respond. The players don't respond. I mean, they are a mess in San Diego. And then, of course, there's the big story this week, and that's the London game. Oh, yes. Uh, Kara, I don't know if you know, <laughs> but we have a special correspondent covering the London game just for this podcast. I don't really? know if you're aware of this. It's not you. It's not you. Don't worry. We're not, we're not calling you at, at 11 o'clock tonight and tell you to pack your bags <laughs> to, go, to go to London. Uh, we have a report. I think we do. Actually, from who? What's the name of the uh, Nigel Spackle? Nigel Spackle yes. is reporting on this game, <laughs> of just for us here on the podcast. So, Mike Del Tufo, roll Nigel's uh, report for us, please, will you? Hello, Nigel Spackle reporting from high above the gantry at Wembley Stadium. Sunday is Halloween, and the colonies are providing some tricks and treats as American gridiron invades this hallowed pitch in Northwest London. The Twin Spires have hosted some of the greatest entertainment events in history. The 1966 World Cup Finals, Live Aid, FA Cup Finals, the home of England's football matches, and this May, the Champions League Final. But Sunday will be something very special. American sporting unexceptionalism on display in front of nearly 90,000. Featuring the Denver Broncos, led by the Garment Challenge coach, Josh McDaniels, a chap who could use an afternoon with a haberdasher on German Street. The Whitey Quine are coming off a flashing for their ancient rivals known as the Commitment to Drek. They take on the San Francisco 49ers, whose moniker plays homage to the intrepid 19th century miners of valuable minerals. Unfortunately, this season, they've come up with dust. They are led by the curiously combustible coach, Mike Singletary, who, with a cross look, may snap you in two. And their dodgy offense has befuddled many a pundit. It should be high drum at Wembley, Sunday tea time. Please join us then. Reporting for the Rich Eisen podcast, Nigel Spacco. Bye for now. He's, he's, he's talented, huh? That Nigel Spackle. He, he can really bang it. I'd up. say there. I, I you know what? <laughs> there. When you watch as much soccer as I do on sun, Saturday and Sunday mornings, yeah. they are, they're amazing. The announcers are, the commentators are amazing. Nigel Spackle, and, and, that's, and like, that's and that's where you met Nigel. Is well, that where you met Nigel through? No, through well, your, it's, it's when you watch as many years I've watched, and you uh. listen to these guys. Well, I don't know. Do we pay Nigel in pounds or, or American dollars? Oh, definitely pounds. Okay. Definitely pounds. And that, that American dollar not so, doing so well right now. Karen, uh, I'd love to know your thoughts on 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 the uh, 
the UK media going with uh, Mike Singletary this week. Do you think Mike's going to be an ambassador for the game at one and six? <laughs> what do you think? How do you think those press sessions are going to go this week? That's a really good question. I was there yeah. last year, yeah, and it was just all about Giselle more so than anything Tom else. Because Tom Brady was there. And right? you go and you walk the streets, and, and they don't know anything about American football. Not a whit. Not so much. Well, I mean, there, there, so, there are I, a lot of people who, who tweet uh, at me from the U.K. about how excited they are about this game. And then I got a couple people this week saying that uh, maybe the NFL could swap out the teams. But maybe it's going to be good. Maybe it'll be, reason, listen, maybe right? it'll, maybe listen, it'll be you a never know. It'll be a contested game. It's it'll fun be. to go over there and watch but it. But I can't wait for, yes, Coach Singletary, <laughs> this is from the London Telegraph. Yes. Your division was supposed to be yours this year, apparently. What's happened in the last seven weeks that might have things gone a bit awry in your division? I wanted to say something. I want winners, <laughs> right? Can you imagine if he just started going off on that guy on a reporter? You're not a winner over here. Is it Mr. Great Britain? Is it true you showed your kibbles and bits to make a point in your first year having a having a go in the locker room at halftime? Quite right. Time for a hot toddy at five. Kick off at five. A BBC one. Oh boy. Oh, it's gonna be fabulous. And Coach McDaniel's coming off of that loss to the Raiders. That's going to be a long flight. 59 points? What is going Mike on Nolan. in this league this Mike year? Mike Nolan. Crazy that he's not that. there anymore. Mike Nolan. Yeah. I don't know. How about giving the Raiders a little bit? Uh, no doubt. No doubt. How about McFadden looking like the top draft choice that he was supposed guy. to be? If those guys play for Cable, they do. They love that guy. They play hard for him. They're not any good, but they play hard for him. Hey, they got Seattle this week. That is, that's going to be a good game. In the, in the black hole in Halloween, as I yeah. brought, to, brought up to Pete Carroll, he wanted to know if they were going to wear costumes. And I told him, yeah. well, well, you know, maybe they should wear a business suit. That's their costume. Right. Because they look always normal. Look, look normal. It's one of my favorite. When I was in Redding, um, when I was in Redding, California, starting out as a sportscaster, I covered a Cowboys Raiders game at the Black Hole. I thought you were going to tell us about interviewing the bull again. Didn't you interview? I interviewed some... a bull. Yes. To when the rodeo came to town, I did do that. Uh, but this one in particular, I'm bringing out because it's a black hole story. I went up and there was somebody um, who wanted to be interviewed screaming at me because I had a camera. Okay, please interview me. Please interview me. I walk up a little closer and it's uh, somebody in a, one of those masks that's bleeding, you know, the, the, the blood coming down. So I ask, you know, what do you normally do for a living? Hold up the microphone and through the muffled mask I hear, I'm a second grade teacher. <laughs> Well, the violator, the violator lives out here. He's like a, he's like he, a, um... and he drives up in full makeup and costume. Well, that's, that's hard. If he's the... ever pulled over I'm the safety belt. by the CHP. I know. No, just like if he's pulled over. Can I see your license and your registration? <laughs> violator. <laughs> He's like an accountant. Oh, boy. I just love thinking like about these people in the morning. They lay out their outfits, mm -hmm. right? And you're like, this is what I'm going with today. I know. That's it. I love the. Passion. I love it. All right. Uh, speaking of spilled blood, uh, James Conn, Sonny Corleone oh, is waiting for me. My God. So let's let's get to uh, let's get to the NFL replay promo. You're gonna uh, you, you wait for it. Here we go. Okay. What are the what are the games? I don't even know the games. I don't know the games, Worm. What are the games? Replay. Eight o'clock Tuesday. It's the Vikings and the Packers. Nine fifteen. Metallic Confluence versus Mammal, and a highly controversial game. Metallic Confluence, that's the Steelers. Yes. Okay. Wednesday, 8 o'clock. Isn't it Confluence? 
It's confluence, yes. Okay. But you, confluence. you still got the Nigel Spackle in you right there. Confluence. <laughs> That's how Nigel would say confluence. Okay, and yeah. of course, our favorite name. Wednesday, <laughs> 8 o'clock, Majestic Prairie Snorting Beast. Vipo. The, the Bills. The Bills. The majestic and the, Snorting and, and a, Prairie Beast. That is a great game. They, a very good game. That's and, of course, game. the best. Who's calling that game? Was that, the, was that the Cricky game? That was the Cricky game. Don Cricky he on is, NFL Replay. He, he's he's a Hall of Famer. He did. He did. He did the game of the year last year. He did Browns-Lions last year. They but, did it. But they nobody, did it. Nobody, hey, nobody has games bust out in front of them. Like Gus Johnson. Nine fifteen, striped South Asian cat v dirty bird. And who did? Who is that? The call? Gus Johnson, everybody. Wow! <laughs> oh, he's Gus so Johnson. great. I it's love unbelievable. That guy. He, he, you, the way you're a magnet for turnovers. Oh, he's a magnet for big time games, Karen. <laughs> what happens when we both get together? Does the universe? I don't know. Explode? Don't let's not figure that out. Yeah, let's not do that. All right, and then if you take a look at the the, the games coming up this week. Every single one of them is a toss-up. Every yeah. last How's game. How's that one? Miami, Cincinnati, Huge Green Bay, game. Jets, Tennessee, San Diego, Miami, uh, Minnesota, at New England, Miami at Cincinnati, Houston, Indianapolis, Pittsburgh, New Orleans. That's the one I'm at. Is that where you're going? New Orleans on Halloween night. Woo-hoo-hoo! How about that? Oh, Good times. Enjoy. Tara, thanks for coming on the podcast. It's a blast, of course. You'll come back. We'll get you back. The Worm, thanks for getting Nigel Spackle on the, on the case for us out there in the UK. Appreciate that. Cheerio, cheerio, right to you. Let's get to James Conn <laughs> on the Rich Eisen Podcast presented by Papa John's. NFL Fantasy Live, your home for fantasy football. With a 90-minute live show every Sunday leading up to kickoff. With our interactive controls, you choose which segment to watch. That's been his three-year average. Who is going to cover them? Get back to what made you good. Or go live as our fantasy experts help you set your lineup for the day. All those are interesting options. Get the last-minute edge over your competition. NFL Fantasy Live, Sundays at 11.30, exclusively on NFL.com. Welcome back to the Rich Eisen Podcast, presented by Papa John's. We've spoken to Pete Carroll, the head coach of the NFC West-leading Seattle Seahawks, and now it is my honor and pleasure to welcome the one and only to this podcast, James Kahn. How are you, Jimmy? The one and only? You are. They broke the mold. You know that. Really? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yes, they well, I'm did. I'm impressed. Well, nice talking to you. I don't know why I'm talking to you if I was that important. You are that important. All right. You and know you're, in a, you're in a little booth now? I'm in a booth right now. Yeah. But not a toll booth. We're but all No, good. I understand. But you're kind of like all alone and everything? I am, actually. Wow. But I feel with you with me, though. I feel yeah. like I've got uh, Well, I've when got I knew I was talking to you, I immediately laid down in bed. <laughs> There's something about your looks that's always driven me crazy. Is it my... It could be my voice. It's your voice and, and you know, you're, you're, you're as good looking as nine out of 16 people. <laughs> I like that. Nine out of 16 yeah, people. Yeah, well, it's not bad. No, that's above average. Yeah. Yeah. That's above average. That's right. That's I'll right. take that from you. How's life for you, Jimmy? Uh, I, I got a little gas out of my back hurts a little bit, but <laughs> other than that, everything is fine. Yeah, didn't Jim uh, uh, Jim Murray always say that they, you were embroidered, right? <laughs> yeah, he said I wasn't born. I was embroidered. That, embroidered, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That came from my non-Jewish activities. I, uh, you know. What were your non-Jewish activities? Well, I mean, rodeo, karate tournament, you know, all non-Jewish things, you know, like stuff like that. And playing foot, you played football at Michigan State, did you? Well, they, you had a cup they of call it there. playing, you know, they sent me home in a box. I, I, I basically held bags, you know, for a little while. Who was the coach at Michigan State when you were there? Duffy. Duffy Doherty. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I saw, 
I saw Duffy 16 years later. He he retired out here. He loved the racetrack. Mm-hmm. And um, and uh, it was 16 years, and it was the year, to, dating myself, but it was the year that Johnny Majors won Coach of the Year for Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. So he was up at the director's room. You know, you have to dress all nice. And I went to Hollywood Park with somebody, another guy that he used to play ball. And, and, and there he was with Bud Christensen and Johnny Majors. And I said, hey, Coach. And he goes, oh, he's one of my dummies now. <laughs> Now, this is 16 years later. He never even knew I existed. And, and and he goes, you know what? He says, I ought to get 10% of your career. I said, what is that, coach? He says, I told you to quit playing football. <laughs> <laughs> so Which he's is pretty true, but he, he, he didn't. I would have been honored if he did it himself, but he sent somebody down, you know, less important than him. And took your playbook from you. Well, they, they just, no, yeah, they took, yeah, they took my letter jacket. No, they let me keep my letter jacket. That's good. Yeah. Well, that's good. And who, who, when you, because you're a New Yorker, who would you, when you went and played football, since you loved the game, who did you, who did you want to be on the football field? I wanted to be mostly alive. <laughs> yes, that, that's crucial. Yeah, anybody living. Right. Because I was, I was 16 when I went there, and, and, and. Not because I was smart. My high school wanted me out so bad. <laughs> you were creating trouble? I swear to God, I was 16 when I went to Michigan State. And, and at that time, the, the freshmen coming in were 22. They were coming out of the Korean War and this and that. And Earl Marl had just left the year before. And I was like, you know, Dean Look, who wrote, he was our, our quarterback. He wrote about me. He said, yeah, he took his knocks on Saturday. He said, like the rest of us. He, says, he was one of our smaller backs. He would have got away where, where he fast. And this is the last line of the article. Mm-hmm. He wasn't. <laughs> I swear, that was the end of the story. You were not. He I wasn't. called up Dean. Thanks, buddy. That was nice. Yeah. You were not fast enough to stay. No, around. I was quick, but not fast. Right. Well, you know what? That that will definitely not have you last in Big Ten football. No, no. That's for sure. I got my two boys. I'm trying to, you know, my two young quarterbacks are working right now. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to get there somehow. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'll get there. Well, maybe this podcast will help. I hope so. Do you know what I mean? I hope so. Listen, last night the Cowboys made Eli look like his brother. <laughs> I swear to Christ. Well, you know what? I'll tell you. He He's not that bad, right? No, I don't think he's bad at all. I think he's rather good. But, you know, to look like, you know, Peyton, they they were pretty close to making him look like you like Peyton. That's how good that defense looked last night. Are the Giants your team, being in a New York? They are now that they won five. <laughs> I'm, I'm a front runner, you know. Right. No, well, I yeah, I always have a soft spot, but I've been really friendly with. I, I was a big Oakland Raider fan because, like Freddie Bolitnikoff and, and the Snake were like my best friends at the time, and so you know I moved around, and then the, the Dallas boys with uh, when Tony Dorsett was there, and I'm godfather of the Doug Cosby, the big tight end. Do you remember Doug? Of course. Yeah, so I'm godfather of his kids. So I, I move around. Whoever I become friendly with, I you know. What, I what was it like hanging around the Raiders at that time? Oh, they were, it was the it was impossible. I mean, they were literally imposters. Every one of them, they were all frauds and imposters. It was great. <laughs> what do you mean by that? Well, I mean, this is a true story. I told it, Doctor Rosenthal. I've been cut on fourteen times, so I think me and uh, who was uh, oh, the guard? Um, Jim, anyway, Jim Otto. Well, Otto. Yeah, he had fourteen knee operations, right. so right. Yeah, he couldn't walk. So we got close through Doctor Rosenthal at the time, and. Uh, and uh, anyway, th- this is a true story. I went up to Santa Rosa where they where they worked out in this little hotel up there, a little motel, you know, where Blander used to sit and, 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 and smoke cigarettes at 2 in the morning, you know, and nobody said anything, and everybody else was in training camp. And I went up there with Freddie and and, and uh, the snake and Stabler, 
And one afternoon, you know, it was in between like some morning workout, we played this little game. And it was like uh, Stabler was the stationary quarterback. It was me, Freddie, I think Connors, and I forgot who the who the fourth guy was. And we'd play a one-on-two. We'd use half the field from the 50 in, and you could use only half the field. So we'd run a one-on-two, right? Mm-hmm. And it was one point for a reception, two points for an interception, three points for a touchdown. So you played to like 15 or 18 or whatever, you know? So we're playing this game, and on one of the last plays, I ran like a square in, and Freddie bit. He was playing on the ins- on the outside, actually, and and he bit, and I split him, and I went straight downfield, and Stable just threw this, a perfect pass, on, which and I couldn't make the catch if he threw it to me 9,000 times. I wouldn't make it again. It was straight over my head, yeah. and I dove out, and somehow, like, miraculously, it, I came down with it, just stretched out right over my head, came down with it in the end zone. And as I come down with it, all of a sudden, Madden and Flores walk by. <laughs> and Madden says to Flores, we got that kid. <laughs> it was just go. And Flores looks at him and says, what, I, what, what's the matter with you? He's an actor. He says, I didn't ask you what he did. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I mean. They were all like... You know, they were imposters. They Fantastic. were insane. Did Madden not, they were great. Did Madden not know who you were, or did you get... No, he just saw the catch. Thank God, you know, that was all. Right. No kidding. Yeah, they had the guy Warren Wells. I mean, they had some crazy people up there. They still do. Oh, no, they, yeah, but they, they were great. You know, and the Cowboys, what was it like hanging around that team with Dorsett back in the day in the mid-'70s? Well, I didn't hang around with them that close, but they trained out here in Thousand Oaks, right. you know? So I mean, uh, so you hung out with them there. I hung out with them there, and mm-hmm. you know, and uh, and I remember <laughs> I invited them all to this dinner at a little place called Splash. It was a little restaurant it had that one of those two people elevators take you know from the ground floor. You can only put two people in it. Right. So Rafferty and Dutton, you know, they they weighed about three hundred each. <laughs> they, they stopped. They turned the lights. They got in the elevator, came up, and in the middle of it, everything stopped. The whole restaurant went black. I mean, they just, <laughs> they blew the whole thing out. <laughs> they never saw so much food served. In, I never saw so much food served in my life. So let's talk movies here. Okay. Let's go to movies. Uh, what do I know about movies? No, a little bit. Let's say that. So Brian's song. What? How? How were you approached for Brian's song? Well, this is really a sick thing because you know I. I the reason I still am, you know, kind of half-witted is that I live, I live this kind of Walter Mitty life. I still do, you know. Not mm-hmm. like if I learn golf now, you know, I think I'm Palmer or something. You know, I'm just, I'm just, I can't deal with reality, which is that I suck. <laughs> Most of us do. Yeah, but N- nine out of sixteen of us. Nine out of sixteen. <laughs> not that much of race, but exactly. That's only for your looks. But um, anyway. Um, what was the question? The, <laughs> how are you approached for Brian's oh, song? Oh yeah, well, I, you know, it's funny. It was in the same year that I had done the God. I did the Godfather. I had finished the Godfather already, and then there was, you know, it was a stigma. I didn't agree with it, but it was a definite stigma. You know, stigma about doing television. You know, I think it was wrong, but nevertheless, you kind of had to live the life that you know the people dictated. The people that hired you dictated. It was like you were out of work if you did television. So they came to me with this wonderful script, a great story, and I, I turned it down like four different times. And then they told me that I would work out with the Bears. You know, I'd go up and work out with the Bears and this and that in Rensselaer. And I go, wait a minute, because I looked up and they had a guy named Don Shy. I thought I was a little better than him, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, listen, maybe I can get a contract. I was only 31, 32. I think maybe, you know, 
maybe this could work. You think you could hook up with the Bears? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, you know, they had like Jack and Cannon at the time. Who, you know, if the, you know, if the wind was right, he threw it thirty yards. Right. I, I could outthrow him. And they had Bobby Douglas. Remember Bobby Douglas? Sure, he could he could run as well as well. He had to run because he, oh, never mind. <laughs> right. I love Bobby. Bobby, if you're listening, I love you. But Bobby, I'll, I'll give you one example. Bobby Douglas and Jackie Concannon after a game in the rain. I used to hang out with them. They were great. And the announcer says to Jackie, um, "It was raining." Jackie, do you do anything different when the rains? Is there anything you do that's, you know, a little different? And he goes, yeah, and he tried to make some sensible answer. Like, I come a little more three-quarters, and I leave my, you know, my pointing finger. I leave that finger mm-hmm. on the ball just a hair longer, you know. I come well, three-quarters and leave that finger on the ball longer, you know, when I throw. And I go to Bobby, he says, well, how about you, Bobby? How do you throw in the rain? He says, I throw good. I throw real good. <laughs> that's when. That's why you would run. I throw good. That's why you would run. Yeah, that's why you'd run. Pretty, pretty much. much. So you thought basically. I really it, thought that I would. Yeah. So you really, you're not kidding when you said you were 16 and, and now you yeah. you got your two kids. No. That you you really think you're going to get there someday is what you're yeah, saying. Maybe, so yeah. So back in the day, it's either there or the wheelchair. We'll see which comes up first. <laughs> right. But you so so you thought maybe if I you know take this job. And yeah. train with the Bears, I can hook up with the Bears. Listen, Abe Gibran called me the next year and said, "Come back, you're the best back we have." <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> so that's why you took Brian's song, basically. Well, yeah, pretty much. I mean, listen, it was a wonderful script, you know. And and the truth is, Billy was wonderful, but uh, I had a, a guy I played ball with, uh, Louis Gossett Jr., was going to play it originally. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of people don't know that. No, I didn't know that. And four days before um, we would go to Rensselaer and work on and and. And Louie was a really good athlete. I played baseball with him in New York. And um, he popped his Achilles playing basketball, you know, training and getting in shape. And we had an emergency casting, and that's how Billy, you know, came Is aboard. Is that right? Yeah. So it was going to be Louie Gossett Jr. as Gail Sayers. Exactly. Well, certainly not as Brian, because, yeah, you know, there was right. a color issue there. Yes, yeah. Uh, yes, indeed. Yeah. So, so did but you, you're sharp, Rich. I guarantee you. Let me tell you, man, I'm not at a 16 more than just the looks. I ESPN when you first came on there. Mm-hmm. You just amazed me. Thank you, Tim. I appreciate that. <laughs> no, I do. So you, did, you, did, you, did you meet Gail? Did you did oh, you chat with him? And, yeah, okay. yeah. I met Gail. Most of the guys, you know. I mean, yeah. I was in scrimmages. You know, producers. You could ask them. They, mm-hmm. you know, until like the phone when they caved my ribs in, and I said, "Hey, come on, I'm just an actor. Stop. I give up." Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I, you know, I went out with them. They had their camp, and I'll tell you how stupid I was. I I just really get into the role so much that. We went out one night after rookie. They had this, you know, this rookie party, you know, and they they get abused. Yes, they do. Do all of that, mm-hmm. and uh, so I went out in this little with Ralph Kurek, I think, and and Butkus, who I became friendly with, and, and Obradovich, and we're all in this little car. I mean, the, these guys weighed much more than the car. There was like this, you know, like four seater, like sports car. Right. Anyway, it's twelve o'clock at night. We had a few beers, <laughs> and. <laughs> Butkus says, now go up to that door right over there, right, and ring the bell and ask for Susan. I said, okay. I mean, what do you say to Butkus? She goes, yeah, sure. So, you know, here I am, one of the bears. I go up, ring the bell, and this big old guy comes in, obviously Susan's father. He says, what do you want? <laughs> and I said, I'm with the bears. As Susan says, I don't give a crap who you with. Get out of here. Get you. <laughs> <laughs> the guys were laughing in the car, you know. Oh, that was funny. Get Jimmy killed, you know. We, 
What a good guy. So Butkus was setting you up? Actually? Oh, they all set me up, yeah. Fantastic. And then we, I got a little tipsy. A little tipsy. Just a wee bit. Just a wee tipsy. <laughs> and they put me in Gibran's bed. <laughs> that night, in the, you know, and then in the morning I came up and they tried to put me in a, like a steam room to get sweat that crap out of me. And then I remember getting hit by Jimmy Gunn like 12 times running this little Oklahoma drill thing. And, oh, God, that's when I said I'm an actor. I, this is not for So me. you had no idea what this movie could actually become? Because people are, you know, obviously no, still no, talk it about was, it. It was really well written and, and not being humble. I mean, it was written with so much humor, you know. And, you know, it, it, it didn't become saccharine and maudlin. And, and, and by the way... Brian, I believe, had only died like six or seven months earlier. So there was a lot of weird stuff going on. I mean, Joy was there all the time, you know. I mean, and some weird, I don't believe in a lot of this. I'm not a mentalist or one of those, but she said one day, and they'd be standing off camera. And I remember the first or second day, I mean, it spooked me. And I became friendly with Joy at the time. She, they said, um, where did you learn how to put you hook your finger in your you know in your belt like that? I go, excuse me. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, uh, you know, Brian used to do that, and you put your tongue in your mouth, and he used to do it. I didn't know Brian from a hole in the head, so it was all kinds of weird stuff that went on there, you know. Right, and so this was this was, and, and you know, the guys love Brian, obviously. And obviously they go, who's sure. this, you know, Hollywood Finocchio that's coming here to play him, you know. So, and and because the Godfather had not yet hit the screens is what you're saying. Exactly. Oh, Let me. See. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Because so, you had just that in the can, it. but it hadn't hit right. the screens yet. Right. And then of course it hit the screen. And then see, it, Rich, yeah, you are sharper than attack. Then all of a sudden it hit the screen, and yeah, it, well, it was the same year actually they came out. So what a year! Man. It was a good year for me. No it was doubt. An Emmy and an Oscar nomination. You know that but, works. That works. And and but you for the for the Godfather, you also. Uh, you also auditioned for the role of, of Michael, correct? As well? They weren't, well, listen, I was friendly with Francis. I had already done a movie for Francis called The Rain People. With, you know, it was one of the first movies, I think the first movie that Duvall and I worked on together. And, you know, we've worked on five since. He's my best buddy, actually, Bobby Duvall. <laughs> Mighty crazy Bobby's great. <laughs> it's a good one. <laughs> so, so um, no, we when when he got it, uh-huh. I had done The Rain he. His cast was done. I mean, he called me and Al. I didn't know Al at the time. And, and Bobby uh, Duval, of course, I knew. And Brando. And, you know, and for like four corned beef sandwiches, because we flew up to to uh, San Francisco, and with 16 mil of film, he did this screen test. Apparently, people have seen it. I haven't seen it. Where we just improvised. She literally put a bowl on her head and gave us haircuts. Mm-hmm. I'm not kidding. A bowl. On, I mean, you, you couldn't make this crap up. Gave us you know, haircuts, and we sat there, and we did some improvising, and Bobby started laughing at me. I said, hey, don't laugh. I didn't write this crap, so that's all in the thing. You know, don't laugh at me. And da-da-da-da-da, and that was the cast. Done. You know, done. I didn't know Al and this and that. Now, next thing I know, like it's two or three months later, and they asked me to do a picture in Chicago before I went back to do The Godfather, uh and I get a call from Francis one night. It's like 11, 30, 12, so it must have been two or three there. And he goes, Jimmy, I said, what? He goes, uh, they want you to come and test. I said, test what? You got a Porsche you want me to drive around the block? What do you want? <laughs> test what? He's no, they want you to play Michael. It was, I mean, it was a mess. So it came back for some reason. You know, they didn't like Al, and Al was a little 
self-destructive in those days. But Francis Norton, thankfully, you know, he was right because Al obviously was brilliant, and 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 Francis wanted Al because he I and I knew Francis; he was my friend. I knew that he wanted Michael to look like the you know Sicilian, and he wanted Sonny to be the Americanized version, you know, mm-hmm. you know. And so I knew, you know, Francis was so sharp. And anyway, to make a long story short, they spent four hundred and twenty thousand dollars. And test every actor you've ever heard of was right. sitting there. Francis was pulling his hair out, and he'd sneak in Al at the end of the day, and then they'd go mad again. It was like, I mean, guys with English accents, Irish accents, it didn't matter. They had everybody was sitting along the thing. And in the, the book uh, that Puzo wrote in The Making of the Godfather, right. I won't use the word he used, but he said if Khan had breasts, he would have played K. I tested every every part. It was like <laughs> you tested for every part. Yeah. And, and had you ever worked with Brando before? Was that the first? No, time? that was the very first time. And what was that like? Unbelievable. I mean, it was like you know. I mean, you know, playing football with Jimmy Brown. I mean, or whoever your hero is. I mean, as an actor, there was nobody to me. And everybody says different. I would call him a liar. That was more influential than him to you know young guys like myself and you know and Al and. And guys in Europe, there was a couple of English guys who, I, you know, like Richard Harris. He said, oh, he'd knock him. I go, well, you knock him, and you spend half your life imitating. Cut your crap, you know. You know, so he was the most influential guy. Great guy, great, and and pretty good rounder too. You know, he's in pretty good shape. That guy. Yeah, I mean, is it true though that he 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 had trouble remembering his lines during no, that movie? No, never. No, that never happened. No. Okay, but no. and and all that stuff with the hearing thing. I think he did with pictures. He didn't care, but he was brilliant. You know, I mean, it was fun. After a while, I mean, he just thought I was fine. I'd just say hello, and he'd start laughing. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Just because of? Uh... I don't know. I don't know. He just thought I was funny, <laughs> and I mean, this went on forever. After we came home, he'd call me at two in the morning when he was eating his ice cream and right. growing to be three hundred pounds. You know. Just did you ever wonder what if? That's what he'd always say. What if? You no. know, and then he'd come up with some weird thing. You know how many amps a, a, a electric eagle has? What? No. <laughs> well, if you strung them nose to tail, do you know what a platypus is? I go, it's a fish, right? Very, very good. <laughs> I, and we have these conversations just two or three in the morning. Wow, man! Yeah, I, it, it was great. That had to be. Um, yeah. Did you... And on that note, if I could push one thing, it's just sure. a thought. You know, I'm not that aesthetic and. But, you know, my son, uh, and I have four sons, but, you know, Scott, and mm-hmm. he's now doing... He's doing Hawaii Five. Yeah, right and, now. you know, he's a wonderful writer and director, but, you, you know, my business is just not like it was. We were talking about these wonderful things I just flashed on. You know, I I had the, the great opportunities and, you know, and the luxury of working with the best directors and the best actors and the best writers, you know, in those 70s, late 70s and 80s, you know, mm-hmm. you know, it was just, and it's just non-existent anymore. I mean, I shouldn't say non, but it's pretty rare, you know, because the, the stuff you get now, it's, you know, I have nothing against all the CGI stuff with, you know, whatever they call it, Avatar and all right. that stuff. Right. But they don't need actors, really, and the, act- and the directors don't really need them because they'll distract from their prowess as a wonderful director. But <laughs> I'm not knocking them. I think, you know, there's, but there's no room for the other kind. There's always like a little independent that snuck in somewhere. or So what I've, I've got this I'm chairman of this advisory board on the, a company called OpenFilm.com. Right. And 
we're doing that. We just gave 250000 to our first winner, a quarterly winner. Of a, so I'm, we're in search of and trying to support young filmmakers. So we have a contest, an online contest. They make small, short feature films, you know, shorts, actually. Right. And then, you know, our members or people who watch, they vote. And so we're really looking really hard because we're going to produce and, and that movie. Yeah. The and the next again? contest, the what? next contest, we're going to, instead of quarterly, it's going to be semi-annually. Uh, and so everybody can view it and we have the time and we're going to give $500,000 to the winner Fantastic. and help, you know, help make it. And I've had a bunch of producers come along and like the idea. I'm not making any money because I'd buy you lunch in a minute, Richard. <laughs> yeah, I know that. You probably, know would, that. you probably wouldn't want to spend the time with uh, That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Trust me, I, if, I, if I had the whole time for this podcast, I'd go on and on and on with well, you. Well, it's openfilm.com, and, and uh, people are interested. They go in there and they see some really young, talented young films. and mm -hmm. uh, Not necessarily young, or some people who were not in the right place at the right time or right. older. So a couple quick more questions on okay, the Godfather before. Sorry, I put that No, in. not at all. That's what this is for. I'm also That's making a new popcorn. Um, no, I'm only kidding. <laughs> yeah, I'll buy that, too. <laughs> I'm all over that. Did you, well, the scene when you were uh, uh, beating the crap out of Carlo, uh, how, how choreographed was that? Or did you just basically go? No, go no, no. Me and this, this, the stunt guy mm -hmm. on a on the street. Saturday, mm -hmm. Paul uh, Baxley, his name was, mm -hmm. good stuntman, Francis never saw that fight until he saw it, mm -hmm. and you know, and 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 Gianno, Gianni didn't see it either. So me and Paul, we just set up for the fight, and he says, "Well, well we got it all choreographed." So Francis never saw it till he saw it. Does that make sense? So uh, yeah, yeah, right, yeah. exactly. So good, and and <laughs> anyway, and all I remember is when I came out of the car. And in the beginning of the picture, you know, when you're actors, you always, you got nothing else to think about, so you think about acting, which is stupid. You mm -hmm. know, it's like not a job for a grown up. I got to tell you. And and I remember in my neighborhood they used to cut off. Some wise guys used to cut off the uh, industrial, like a big industrial broom or industrial mop. You know, with these big fat right. wooden things. They cut the end of them off like a little bat, like an attitude adjuster. We call them, you know. <laughs> right. And they keep in the car. So at the beginning of the movie, I said to the special effects, I said, hey, get me one. He said, well, it's not in the movie. I said, what's the difference? Just leave it under my seat in the car. Just leave it there. I had no idea. Same with my shoes. I begged for those, you know, black and white shoes. And they go, well, it's not in the sky. I said, well, you know, every Italian I know, they may have like one suit, but they got five pairs of shoes. And, you know, I, I just wanted to. So all that kind of stuff. And when I got out of the car and I said, come here, come here, come here. I, I had that bat in my hand and I threw it at him. Right, yeah, right. So Francis go, oh, that's great because Francis let me go. You know, I, on a couple issues where I broke the camera outside the thing, that was all improvised. You know, and and Francis liked it. He goes, great, but Jimmy, listen, it looks like you're throwing it, like you're gonna miss him. I said, Francis, it's a bat. You know, but yeah, he's running cars. He's like, you know, he's <laughs> you wanted you to hit him. Away. You yeah. wanted you to. <laughs> so he's running behind the cars. He's well, throw it at him. You're not gonna hit him. Okay. Right off the coconut, and luckily it was on the upswing. The next <laughs> Hit him right in the coconut. Down he went, and then you went for the trash can. And well, then you know we cut, and then we did the fight. Yeah, fantastic. What's your favorite scene from the movie? Do you have one? Uh, let's think. Uh, 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 well, yeah, it was cut out, Rich. <laughs> was it really? <laughs> 
Well, that's a big scene with Bobby, you know. Yeah, I was so pissed off in Francis. You know, we were all selfish, you know, with pompous glasses, you know. We only look like, what did I do? Where's the stuff? I wouldn't go to the opening. I was so pissed off. They didn't cut that scene. What scene was it? It was a scene right before me and Bobby have this long argument. It's like I do Macbeth and he does, like, I don't know, Henry the Fifth. And then, then it goes into that scene where Al's sitting way in the corner and I and I go, you college boy, you know. He goes, Sonny, let me, you know that scene there. Yeah, where he yeah, he, he says go, he, he wants to I... go right. It, well, which by the way, bada bing, that came from your mind, right? That, that came from my mouth. Yeah, that was not scripted. The word. Bada no, bing. a lot of that stuff was not scripted. And bada bing, I mean, that's that's now yeah, by the way in the dictionary now. Why weren't you now? around to say, Jimmy? Why don't you uh, get a patent on that? Because then, for sure, I could have bought you lunch. <laughs> exactly. Instead of laying here so, waiting for somebody to make so me the, an egg. So the scene where Michael says, "Why don't I do it?" Meaning, you know, going and whacking yeah, yeah, Salazzo yeah. and McCluskey in in the in the restaurant. That was a longer scene, is what you're saying? Well, the front part of it was. Uh huh. Yeah. And he cut it. Yeah. And that was your. And he favorite. wouldn't even give it to me. I can't even show it to anybody. <laughs> See, it, he has it. In no, his... I like that. I mean, I I kind of like them. Oh, I like the scene when I come and I see my sister, you know, beat up and right. Uh, anything with Brando in it was pretty great. I imagine so. And your favorite movie you ever did is that it or, or acting wise? Yes. Uh, well, there's a few. I, there's a picture called Thief that I did. It was oh, Michael please. Mann's first picture. I like that character a lot. And uh, fantastic movie. And you know, I had fun with like just different things. You know, like when I. I did the uh, Streisand thing where, I, you know, I danced and I sang. People go, well, you know, I used to, after The Godfather, and and, and Brian's song, too, I'd get these scripts for, like, 10 years. Like, if there were 12 people weren't dead by page 20, they'd never send it to me. <laughs> you know? They go, what are you talking about? I said, well, I didn't know you sang it. Well, nobody ever asked me. I mean, right. So I enjoyed some of that stuff, too. And, you d- and you've done some other great films since then. There's a lot of football fans that wanted me to ask you about the program. Did you have a good time with doing that no. one, too? <laughs> okay, we can move on. <laughs> yeah, I did not. Did I, I, not. I, I I just found it to be, you know, and, and uh-huh. it was a source of. I got in a little trouble because I, the guy lied to me. Whoever the director was, mm-hmm. I came from one picture I'd done called uh, I don't know, Flesh and Bone. And the next day, I flew to to South Carolina, and there was a lot of language in there I didn't like. And I took it originally because I had a beef with the in in in, in an internal struggle by the, with the NCAA. And um, some of their rules, right? And and it was more along that line. And and I said, well, I'll do it if you do this and that. You know, guys don't spit each other. They don't say the f word in this in front of coaches. I've never heard that. And more importantly, Bo Schembeck was coming there, and I'm not going to embarrass Bo Schembeck. Bo was on the set. Well, he came on. He was one of the on the. Uh, it was one of the announcers for a minute. But that was what caused it. I said, you know, these guys I respected my whole life. You know, yeah. You know, you can't talk like. That's just not the way people behave, or nor would any coach in a big school. You know, it's just, you know, with the drug thing openly and right, it's a little more... doing all this stupid, you know, right. but mostly the language, gratuitous language and gratuitous, you know, just vulgar stuff. So I got there and they never changed. I said, fine, I quit. You know, I'm leaving. And then, you know, Disney called me, accused me of mutinying the crew. I go, no, the guy lied to me. So I had no choice. So. We went through it. I still have some objections to stuff. Oh, boy. And, and you, I didn't like the idea that some kids actually went and thought this was a clever idea. And you remember that? It was in the newspaper where they actually 
some of the high school kids were laying out in the highway thinking they actually went ahead and did yeah, it. Yeah, do, do you don't remember that? I do remember that. Yeah, I do. Like remember a noose, that. sort of stuff like that. That like so thief. That's what you'd put up there. As I, your I, favorite well, movie. thief, gambler. You know, I had a lot right. of fun with little pictures like Cinderella, Liberty, and a picture I did with Stride, a Funny Lady, and mm-hmm. I, uh, I've I've been you know I've been pretty blessed. You sure have. You sure have, and I really appreciate you coming on my podcast and sharing these stories, sure, Jimmy. Man. This that, is great. Well, that's fun. I love your podcast. Thank you. I love your studio. You could come back anytime you want. Bring your kid. Bring it as wherever you want. And remember, uh, nine out of sixteen, buddy boy. <laughs> you got it. Thanks for the time. <laughs> All right. That Bye. is the one and only, as I said, <laughs> Jimmy Khan here on the Rich Eisen podcast, presented by Papa John's. How fantastic is that? I mean, how many people can talk about films and call them pictures and and you believe them? You don't think that that's uh, a put-on. There's no put-on. He is who he is. It is what it is, the National Football League phrase when you talk about James Caan. And what a thrill and an honor it was to have him on the podcast. I want to thank Pete Carroll as well, the head coach of the Seattle Seahawks, the Worm, uh, who also brought along Nigel Spackle. Uh, I can't thank Nigel enough for his hard work reporting from the U.K. on the big Niners Broncos International Festival of Football Love. Kara Henderson, I want to thank her. I want to thank everybody who helped put this uh, podcast together. Mike and Sarah on the other side of the glass. Matt Lathrop, my producer. Drew Olmeyer, whose tireless work always helps uh, make this podcast sing. And I want to thank you for letting everybody know about the podcast. If they already don't, on iTunes and also on my blog, richeisen.nfl.com. You can follow me on Facebook at uh, facebook.com slash Rich Eisen or on Twitter at Rich Eisen. Also follow the worm. Get his numbers up a little bit at worm underscore 66. That's it for this edition of the Rich Eisen podcast presented by Papa John's Week 7 style. Tune in out.